Welcome to the Dixie Polis Podcast. My name's Travis. And this is Luke. We are Southern Men De-Reconstructing the South. So, Travis, we uh, spoke to you about the book that I was purchasing the other day, uh, Polyface Designs by Joel Salatin. Did you get it in yet? I did. I actually have two copies of it now. I gave one to my mom. I need to get that one. That that's like one of the ones that I haven't gotten yet. Uh, it, it's basically just showing all of his architectural designs for his homestead stuff, isn't it? Well, so uh, Salatin and there's a actual engineer that joined up with him, and they've kind of uh, put this design together for um, various houses and. Uh, utility vehicles that you would use around the around a farm. Uh, so they yeah. have like a, a mobile a mobile feed shed that you can like you can make like a mini feed shed. Um, they show you how to make uh, modular houses for chickens and rabbits and uh, pigs um, and and cows. Uh, they give you a complete breakdown of the materials you're going to need, the tools you're going to need to build it. And then they give you a breakdown of how do the designs work and kind of walk you through it pretty systematically. Um, so uh, you can, you can, you know, if you get the book, it's going to, it's going to try to give you the most efficient use of the materials as well. So you're not just going out and buying a bunch of material and then wondering how I'm going to put all this together. He's going to tell you how many two befores you need, what the cuts you need for the two befores. Um, uh, try to minimize, uh, so you want to make the most amount of cuts out of a single two before that you can get. So he's he's going to break all that down. Uh, all the there's a couple of them that require I think some pipe bending and uh, a little bit of welding. Uh, so just be aware of that. But that's one of the that's one of the real big uh, houses for for animals. Yeah, I've, uh, that that was one of the interesting things that kind of drove me to Joel Salatin. Um, was looking at his uh, Millennium Feathernet. Mm. Uh, if no, if you haven't seen that, go on YouTube and look up Millennial Feathernet. Okay. Um, it's it's based off the Millennial Falcon, but it keeps. I, I want to say it's like a thousand chickens free ranging, uh, following yeah. cows behind them. But the the way the the way the mobile coop set up is that it's like in an X, and uh, that's supposed to like support everything. They've roosting up here. They have nest boxes down below. They hook it up to a tractor, drive it to the next paddock, set it all up, and uh, it follows the cows. I think by six days, by that that gives the uh, the larvae time to like hatch out of the fly eggs right. and all the cow patties. They scratch through it, boom, free protein. They scratch through the grass, fertilize it, all that good stuff. Uh, one of the, one of the coolest designs though is the uh, the racking house that he built. Have you heard about that? Yeah, uh, actually, you know what? Give me, give me like two minutes. I'm gonna go grab that book because it okay. it's got it's got the Racken House in there. Two thousand years later, Bat Boy had a had a breath over here. <laughs> the Chris Slattery, S L A T T E R E, or E R Y. That's the. Uh, yeah, the Millennial Feathernet's in here, too. Yeah, I really like that. And, and to be fair, with the Millennial Feathernet, you need 
several acres to do that one on because just of how large it is. Uh-huh. Um, the second best option for that one is going to be the uh, the chick shawl that Justin Rhodes has, which is basically kind of looks like a wheelbarrow, uh-huh. but it, it's it's a chicken coop. Um, which I eventually want to do that, but right now I'm just going to have to do a deep bedding system. But I want to do the racking house, and I think I could feasibly do it once I can afford all the material. Basically, for our listeners that don't know, it's chickens in like a large barn type thing. Um, it's a very breathable barn. It's just basically a, you know, a um, a gazebo that that has like chicken wire around it and it's got about a foot's worth of wood chips in there that breaks down into a nice wonderful compost and then you have all your chickens in there that's your egg laying chickens and just above them about three feet off the ground you have your rabbits yep. and um you have your breeder rabbits your ones that you're growing out for meat etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh the rabbits droppings goes into that as Joel Salatin would call it, the carbonaceous diaper, which is your wood chips. And if you have enough wood chips, it's not going to stink. Uh, I've proven that myself because, uh, anyways. But um, I went out there the and sniffed was... it. <laughs> Literally, man, if I've got to walk around in it, you know, I don't want my chicken coop to stink, right? And um, you're only cleaning it out like once a year if you do a, you know, a 12, um, 12 inch um, deep bedding system. But anyways, the rabbit crap goes on to that, and it catches that. They scratch through it and just work it down into the comp- into the uh, wood chips to make beautiful compost. Uh, but uh, one thing that I have been doing is just the chickens on deep bedding, and I'll just throw all my kitchen scraps in there instead of a compost pile itself, and then have them eat that, and then also just turn everything they don't eat into wonderful compost. And uh, you're, you're, what you're doing there is function stacking. You're putting everything as much as you can on a smaller piece of area of your land. And then you have more that you can do. That. And if you can do that with every aspect of your land, then um, you, uh, you can start getting more yield out of everything you're doing, which kind of segues us into what we want to talk about in the um, that we should be environmentalists. Not leftist environmentalist, but true environmentalist. Um, but do you want to say something about that book before we, you know, I get off on another tangent? Yeah. So you know, first off, if you've got any kind of you know animals and you plan to expand, uh, I would highly recommend this book. Uh, it's a little pricey. It's about I think I've got it on Amazon for about sixty bucks. Um, maybe sixty-five, something like that. Um. But he gives you a lot of a lot of different um, uh, structures you're going to use. Uh, most of his chicken um, house designs, for instance, they're built around um, uh, standardized uh, constructions. So there's a standardized little uh, chicken roosting, uh, I guess module that he's got that you can build and this one module works for just about all of his chicken coops and it's got so he he and you know it's called a, a nesting box 
and uh, the one that he's got depicted in the book has about 12 little slots where chickens can get in and roost. Um, they've got a little uh, roosting pole on the outside of it, but it's like 12 different cubbies um, that you can, you know, the chickens could get in there. And like I said, all of the designs are based off of that. So you can just build these, you know, um, basically build 10 or 15 of them and then affix them to the wall of whatever structure you're building. It's really straightforward, really simple. Um, if you're at all handy or you know somebody who's handy, you know, this stuff, you know, it's it, it wouldn't be difficult for you to for you to do it. I mean, it, the only thing I'd have to learn on this is I'm not I don't know how to weld yet. I've used a stick here and there, um, but, you know, I'd have to get a little better at uh, welding just to do the structural aspects of it. But I would highly recommend it. Polyface Designs by Joel Salatin and Chris Slattery. You can get it off Amazon. Um, that's enough shilling on my end. He did not sponsor so, this episode, so, by the way. <laughs> no, no, but I have tried to get him on. But uh, if you haven't, if you're ever up around Stanton, Virginia, go swing by Polyface. That's like a number one place to visit if you're into like homesteading type stuff. If you're into um, agricultural regeneration, basically on how we can actually afford grass-fed and grass-finished beef. For less than CAFO prices, CAFO, uh, Commercial Agricultural Feeding Operation, basically the cows are shoved into these feedlots and they're just fed corn, all right, and then they're moved around by flipping forklifts. Um, the, the One of the eye-opening things for me was uh, watching the, the show Food, Inc., which uh, has Joel mm -hmm. Salton on there, um, and it's freaking disgusting what we do to animals right so with animals like i'm not i'm not some kind of hippie right i'm not i'm definitely not PETA. i definitely like to eat meat okay but at the same time we're christians we should actually care about how we treat the animals that that god has put and put in our care right this is part of the whole dominion aspect of it you know i'm a, i'm a dominionist and we we are called to take dominion over the earth and locking animals in CAFOs, locking chickens in two per cage, you know, that's like a, a foot by a foot, all right, locking them two, two, two in there, searing off their beaks so they don't fight one another just to harvest eggs is not glorifying to God. And everything we, sh we do should be glorifying to God. Um, one of the things that Joel likes to say is uh, the chickenness of the chicken or the pigness of the pig. And he brings all that from the Westminster Confession about, um, I think it's the Westminster Confession, where it essentially says, well, what is the chief end of man? And that's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Mm -hmm. um, what what does it mean to, uh, what is it, hold on. What is the glory of God, man, fully alive? How do we exactly express the these, you know, the humanness of the human? And that is, we worship God in, in truth. Or, hold on. We worship God in spirit and in truth. All right. We become fully human once we submit to Christ, right? You know, because right. that that Adam, Adam was fully human. I would say that because we are marred by sin, we are not to our potential yet. But that being said, through sanctification, we are made more and more like Christ, the one true man. Um and, but, and just it, to just to add a little bit there, 
you know, C.S. Lewis touches on this in his Abolition of Man and the the Space Trilogy specifically, That Hideous Strength, which is the third book in the series. It talks about the reverse version of this, um, which, you know, all of the, you know, a little bit of a spoiler alert here, uh, you know, all of the main bad guys in That Hideous Strength are twisted, well, you know, the, the idea is already twisted, but they're, they're, they're different variations of Gnosticism. Uh, and, you know, Gnosticism is the thing that we're actually fighting today, uh, where, you know, we want to ultimately change what we are to be whatever we want it to be. And the only thing that matters is spirit or consciousness or whatever. Um, but it, it, the opposite of that, getting to what you're saying, the opposite of that is, you know, honoring God and living according to his, his word and his law. And, you know, with the, with the Gnostics, which John in his gospel and his epistles calls not Gnosticism the spirit of the Antichrist, that that philosophy, that way, that mode of being is the spirit of the Antichrist. He says that in, I think, Second John. Um, you know, the spirit of Christ is owning who you are, honoring what you're supposed to be and trying to become more like God. It's more of a state of being that you're trying to inhabit and less of this set of rules that you're supposed to live by. And and we use God's law as a means to do that. Yeah, the, um, that that one guy from that hideous strength, what is it, uh, Professor Frost? Liberato? No, not Frost. It's the, uh, the fat Italian. Oh. Oh, gosh, I can't remember his name. But anyways, what, what he essentially is trying... Yeah, Philostrato. Um, what he essentially tried to do, or what his vision for the for the grand new world is, was uh, no organic life anywhere. Mm-hmm. Basically, we would plug our brains into a machine, and if we wanted to hear birds sing, we would just have a recording of birds singing. If we wanted to see a tree, we could go see a metal tree. Yep. That that sounds far off, but this is what the these these you know these um. That's what the World Economic Forum wants. They want you to live in pods and eat bugs. And whenever the technology is possible, they want you to upload your brain to the matrix. So that, therefore, you have zero carbon footprint. Oh, uh, anybody okay. who's listening who thinks that this is this is far fetched, what I want you to do is I want you to go look up a guy named Ray Kurzweil. He is one of the brains behind Google. Go read what he believes ought to happen to human humanity. Uh, look at the whole transhumanism idea. Uh, this is this is antichrist behavior and philosophy and practice. It's happening now, and 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 it's and it's an ever present uh, issue that we're going to have to deal with for you know, the foreseeable future. So I kind of noticed this trend back in 2013, 2014, where they kept trying to make us the problem. Mm-hmm. It's been going on a lot longer than that, but I only started noticing it then. And you know, the man-made global warming, man-made climate change—that's all our fault. That's all humans' fault because, th- from their point of view, we're an invasive species on this planet. We don't belong. Earth, Earth would would work just as well if we weren't here, which is total bullcrap, by the way. We can see that with the California forest and it being mismanaged, mm-hmm. aka not managed. 
but whenever we as humans we belong on this earth just as much as the panda bear uh now the panda bear is an endangered species i'm not saying that we should care for the panda bear as much as the humans but we should care for the panda bear all right we should care for all of these animals that that are on earth even the mosquito i don't know why i don't know why we should care for the mosquito but i'm you know i'm sure we'll figure that out one day but we need we need to actually reassess ourselves where our station is on this planet and our station is is that we are to we are to have dominion over this planet and actually make it better all right so one of the things that uh, we keep mentioning Joel Salatin a lot but the, the, you know he's really one of the biggest inspirations that i had coming to this way of thinking was we we should make we should make the commons better because we're here and not worse. Uh, what he does is whenever he well, a little bit of you know backstory from him. Again, I really want him to get on here and tell this, but when he got on his property, there was no topsoil left because of of rapacious farming on the property that they bought. And over the past, uh, how long has he been there? 40, 50 years, maybe. They've added like 18 inches of topsoil. And the only way they did that was by moving cows every day. If they would have just left that alone, if humans wouldn't have touched that, there still would not be topsoil there today. They started their farm in 1961. Okay, so was that 60 years? Just about, yep. Yeah. A little over, actually. Um, yeah. So so in 60 years, he managed to add like 18 inches of topsoil. That's astounding. And the way he did that was he introduced herbivores to his land. Everyone that wants to try to tell you that you, you know, we shouldn't be eating meat because it's bad for the environment, just they don't know what they're talking about. Bar none, you cannot repair this land from the damages that is done by monocropping without herbivores. All right, every homestead needs at least one herbivore. Eh, kind of, if you've got enough land, obviously. Um, because that is the number one key to uh to actual building soil. I'm, I'm getting kind of ahead of myself, I think, but um, but yeah, we 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 as humans should make everything better and not worse. Question is, is how the leftists would say that we all need to be locked in these little cities and have nature run wild out into these you know these vast areas of wilderness that we don't need to go. That's their plan. They they literally want something like um uh what's that gay uh that um that gay dystopian uh, divergence or whatever. Mm. Or, or Hunger Games. Hunger Games is a great one. I don't recommend the movie, but it's a great example. People are locked in these little colonies and they're not allowed to go into these wild areas because that's not where they're supposed to go or something like that. You know, they're chick sneaks off to go hunting and um that's essentially what they want they want us locked on the compounds to let nature run wild but don't sneak out <laughs> Dude, i didn't hear what you said i said they, they they want you on the on the little plot of land but they don't want you to sneak out right okay yeah 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 they want you on the plantation right that's literally what they want you they just want you as they just want you as a slave on the plantation they don't they don't actually think that you're worth anything but anyways, when you take a piece of land, 
okay, you should be adding value to that year after year. You should not be throwing away all this great, valuable resources. What do I mean? I'm saying, like, anything that can be composted down, you should probably compost it down. Why? Because you're taking all the nutrients from another part of the world, say paper, um, vegetable, you know, vegetable um, trimmings, you know, like the, all the end caps and stuff, and adding that to your soil to actually enrich it, right? You shouldn't be throwing that stuff away just to go sit at a landfill. I know what happens to it, to the stuff at the landfill. It just gets buried, and it's never going to be used again. So all the vitamins, all the minerals, all, all the uh, biomatter is just going to waste, basically. We're being wasteful. Versus if you actually start composting, even if you don't have a garden, you can still add that compost to your to your you know your grass and make it nice, lush, and green. We spend billions of dollars every year to make beautiful green grasses in subdivisions. Okay, and I think I've I think I've ta- mentioned this before, but the number one reason that we have a dead zone at the at the mouth of the uh, the Mississippi River is because all of those those pesticides, herbicides, and fertilizers get washed down the Mississippi from, you know, Louis um from uh Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, everything. It just all goes runs down and we've now we've got an algae bloom about the size of New Jersey out there in a dead zone that nothing can grow except for algae. It's highly acidic and it takes all the oxygen out of that that one particular area. And that's all because of lawns. Yes, yes, um, fields and stuff, they, they, they contribute a little bit, but nothing compared to, um, to fertilizing subdivision lawns. Well, I, I want to I add to what you're saying. So, you know, we, we're, we're talking about uh, we're supposed to take dominion. And, you know, there's, <clears throat> there, it, there's a sense in which we're talking about two kinds of dominion here. Um, and I think you're talking about both. Maybe I'm incorrect. Uh, um, so like there's there's a dominionism like we're supposed to take over the we're supposed to be stewards of the land we're supposed to be stewards of of creation whereas dominionism in the sense we're supposed to take over the political and the social institutions yeah but i'm mostly talking about the stewardship right now like we okay i'm not yeah i mean yes we should we should be wanting to pass policies to um to better incentivize sustainable agriculture and horticulture, but that's that's not exactly um, that's off topic for the for the the current. Yeah, I mean we we can definitely podcast. talk about it more, but yeah, that's kind no of- no no. I didn't I didn't want to get off topic. I wanted just wanted to be clear about. It. So you know we're we're talking about taking dominion. This comes from you know Genesis. There's two two places in Genesis. You know first you have Genesis one, where God is. This is the creation narrative. And God is creating all things in the first six days. At the at the end of the sixth day, God created man, and then he charges them and blesses them. So I'm going to start with verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. 
to every beast of the, the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant of food, and it was so. And the second portion is in Genesis 9, starting with verse 1 to verse 7. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the field and every upon and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the earth and all the fish of the sea. Into your hands they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I and and as I give you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall need you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is its blood. For your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood shall be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. So the charge that's being given both first to Adam and then later to Noah is this charge to act as God's representative in earth. Now, we were given originally just the, the, the... We were originally given the plants of the earth, and then in Genesis 9, we were given the plants and the animals to eat. So, again, we fully affirm a Mediterranean diet. Eat, eat, eat a lot of meat. We're good with it. Uh, God is good with it. Um, however, we're charged with acting responsibly with this power because we are acting as representatives of Christ when we go out and we um, uh, cultivate uh, plants or we, we, we uh, have animals on our farms. We're acting as representatives of Christ himself. And so we have a duty to these animals as representatives of God to demonstrate his attributes even to these animals who can't understand what's really happening. And so Joel Salatin's gone a long way with showing some practical ways in which to do that. Um, but the thing that we're specifically talking about, it's something I like to term as uh, creation ethics, uh, where we we derive the way that we approach reality by the standards that God established in Genesis 1 about how he acts in his act of creation, and we're supposed to mimic that. And so when we, when we come, you, you're talking about the chickenness of the chicken or the, the pigness of the pig. We're supposed to act with knowledge according to these animals and try to use them to the greatest benefit for both them and then for us. And what we've seen with some of the legitimate progress that's been been had in farming has been where the animals are better treated and they're more and they're happier. Uh, these animals produce better products for humans to use, and it's the cyclical nature of that um, that has kind of been lost by our society because we have no closeness with this uh, process. We we don't know where our food comes from. And so we lose that um, we lose that 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 respect for the animals that we should have because we're no longer uh, connected with that. 
And so the cruelty that we would exhibit by not being restrained by wisdom in regards to this creation mandate that we're given isn't there anymore. And we, we feel free to act cruelly or we act in ridiculous ways because we're, you know, in some cases legitimately trying to be uh, responsible and being good stewards of these animals. And I would, I would point to some of the animal activists, by the way, um, I think, I think there's a good portion of those guys who are legitimately concerned about how animals are treated. The problem is that they're largely ignorant or they have this view that animals are, that, that, that humans are this parasite on the planet. And so their response is literally a genocidal response where humankinds are the problem and we just need to get rid of humans. Sorry, long rant. I'm done. No, I mean, I think that brings a... Um... Uh, that brings a good point. Uh, so the Apostle Paul says that um, for for we know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of birth of, of childbirth until the present time. So so what we're seeing right now is that okay. So when Adam fell, he was cursed with thorns and thistles, right? Mm-hmm. He was cursed that he was actually going to have to break a sweat and, and, and get his hands beat up and torn and calloused and all this type of stuff. And, 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 and because now that Christ rose from the dead, okay, so it all, it all hinges upon that. Now we can start actually fulfilling what, what is going to be in the eschaton, in, in, you know, in the new heavens and the new earth. Right now we can actually participate and get a new taste of that, and that is by um, by by actually doing things that glorifies God via nature, you know, via the pigness of the pig, via the chickenness of the chicken. Um, two 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 examples of the pigness of the pig and the and the chickenness of the chicken. Chickens scratch and they 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 basically till up an area. They they rip grass apart. If you, if you're not careful, you won't have any grass in your yard. Um, but we use the chickens in the ways, ways that they're actually intended to, the ways that they would, we'd be in nature, right? They, they would be scratching the bottom of the trees, trying to find bugs and all that other good stuff. And then with a pig, they've got that, that nice plow on the front of their nose and they want to root up stuff. They want to find the truffles. They want to find the acorns. So, so if we can harness what they're doing and actually, um, allow a pig to be a pig instead of rooting around on a concrete floor, right? And move them and, and till up areas and, and plow areas. Uh, that that's one way that we can actually um, have have d- dominion over them, and still allow them to glorify God in the way that God has ordained for them to to glorify Him. In, in their 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 the very ontology of what they are that you know yep. the whole ontological nature of the animal, right? So, um, one, one phrase, and I, I can't remember who, who quoted that or who, who said this, but uh, I'm going to take my own, my own little take on this is right now we have an illusion of dominion We're we're, we're thinking we have dominion just because we can get a lot of soybeans out of a field or we can get a lot of beef out of, you know, out of the corn production that we have. We have these nice juicy ribeyes that are just from obese cows. Let's, let's put it frankly, if you got a grass fed ribeye, one, it tastes a lot better, but it's not going to have all that, all that white marbling in there. Uh, a grass-fed ribeye is going to have marbling, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be full of fat 
like we would see in from a Walmart grocery store. Um, but okay, so so we think we have dominion over something, but what we really are being is we're being rapacious upon it, right? We think that that nature is something that we have to hold down and force to do what we want it to do, when when in reality nature wants to do something right nature is very fruitful by herself and if if we are if uh so so joel salatin used the language of nature is the gentle lover that you must massage in order to get forth her bounty right so so if we look where do blackberries grow best they grow on like the edge of the forest so if we take that what we know from nature and then we can replicate that so so start creating hedgerows around your house for all the bramble to grow up so you can get these nice beautiful blackberries that's called taking dominion over it not not whacking everything down and planting you know some uh planting a soybean field right because you have to force that to come you have to force the the soybeans to come out of a, of a condition that they don't want to be in right we have to genetically modify soybeans to grow in areas that we don't that they don't normally grow right so so instead we need to like I guess the term will be mimic nature, right? So, so what is, where's the most fertile soil? Well, it's on forest floors. Okay. Where all the, all the, all the, um, the, the birds crap on it, all the, uh, all the leaves fall and decompose and it gets this nice rich soil, all the earthworms in it. We don't care about earthworms enough. We generally don't. I mean, think about it. All we do is till up a field and kill all the earthworms earthworms are wonderful for a garden ask any gardener any gardener earthworm castings are like literal black gold in any garden in 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 our monocropping system we're just killing them well if we don't kill them in the tilling process we're going to kill them with a chemical fertilizer we're going to kill them with a pesticide process we're going to kill them in the fungicide process we're going to make the soil uninhabitable for any actual soil life um so, so that yeah, that, that was that was kind of a tangent right there, but but not really because this is called this is part of taking dominion is actually welcoming all of God's cre- creatures and having them work with you in the system that they were meant to work in, right? So, um, well, to, to kind of piggyback off of that, you know, we we talk about. Um, you know Christ and His Church, right? So we're we're using this imagery of marriage to talk about the relationship between God and His people. Um, you know, if we if we abstract that a little bit, we come up with this masculine feminine relationship, and that works in marriage, and that works in the relationship between Christ and His Church. But that masculine feminine relationship also works between man and nature. So as you're talking about, you know, we're we're the 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 feminine, the 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 life producing side of this interaction between um, uh, intelligence versus intuition, or uh, structure versus freedom, or uh, restriction versus flourishing. Right? The, these two counterbalance one another. So when when uh, I'm I'm gonna. I'm trying to think of how I want to organize my thoughts to talk about this. Um, well, well, I had a thought earlier today, and while you're collecting your thoughts, I'll say it. Um, so so in, in the relationship of a man and a wife, man gives the wife raw materials, and she creates something beautiful. 
we, we go out and basically we bring home the meat and then she cooks a wonderful meal. Well, it's kind of the, in the same way that God gives us the raw materials. He gives us iron ore. He gives us soil. He gives us seeds. And we create, we create plowshares and then we create gardens and then we create, you know, uh, then we then we get the milk from the the animals that he's given us and we make butter we make cheese um and also in the same way as that we can circle that back around to to man is giving things to nature and nature is bringing forth a bounty we give nature the raw stuff and she brings forth the bounty so one of the guys that i like to listen to um he he's not a he's not a christian but he he talks about some historical elements he talks about some uh um uh, archaeological um elements as well i don't like the word elements he talks about history and archaeology a lot uh, his name's graham hancock uh one of the civilizations that he likes to talk about is the incans and one of the things that we lost from the incans and from the mayans was their agricultural technology their there are um there there's a specific type of soil in the Amazon that is absolutely potent topsoil and by potent i mean you can put just about anything in it and it will grow um and the the thing that we understand from this we don't understand how they did it we don't understand where they got the materials from but the thing we do understand from the soil is that it was 100% artificial uh the the people in that area around the amazonian rainforest figured out how to properly build a soil from the ground up and they used natural technologies they didn't they didn't force it we didn't have you know they didn't have industrial um uh farming like we see it today they were using 100 percent natural means to do this I think I know what you're talking about. Basic, okay, so uh, a um, a YouTuber called the Survival Gardener, he did one. Basically, he just dig a big pit, and then he threw a bunch of crap in there. Like he burnt wood, he uh, broke some pottery shards, he uh, he threw animal dung in there, he threw kitchen scraps in there. And, and what it sounds like to me was that where where the where the soil's located, that was just their landfill. They just brought all this organic matter in there, and they just composted it down and made this great soil. Um, that, that may be I what I think. It, that's what you're talking about. If if not, it could be a different Amazonian tribe or something. Well, I mean, we we know they were using it to grow their crops. We know that they would yeah. they would transport that that soil from this one area across their empire and use it for crop production. Um, and it, it, you know, me bringing this up, I know I'm a little scant on the details as far as this goes, but the reason why I'm bringing this up is, you know, it's just like you're saying with Joel Salatin. He starts this farm, and in 60 years, he creates this huge layer of topsoil across the top of his farm. Um, there are ways to do this, and, you know, some of this might have to be rediscovered. Some of this might have to be uh, figured out. This is not my area of expertise in the slightest. It sounds like you might know more about it than I do. Um, but... You know, these are things that we can investigate and find out. People probably already have investigated and found out. Um, you know, the se the second point I wanted to bring up in regards to this, you know, masculine, feminine, uh, in light of what I just said. Um, 
you know, what we do today as far as farming, like you're saying, this industrial farming, uh, you know, big farm, uh, big farm, big aga, um, or big ag. This this whole system that we've put together. Um, I know you guys were waiting on it, but it came from the Yankees, um, and it's it's one of the things that I ran into. I had to do a class in North Carolina for the uh, erosion. And the, the people who operate that class are very knowledgeable about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And, in, and that class is actually what changed my mind about uh, some of the conservationism that we've got going on. Um, what's happening with North Carolina after the Civil War Yankee engineers came into the South, and they created um, a whole lot of very terrible, terribly designed, uh, very terribly designed uh, drainage systems. Uh, so one, they would create this smooth-walled concrete um, uh, drainage culvert, the open-top culvert. And what they would do is they would take the existing streams and they would run them through these culverts. And so you have water running in a straight line for miles. And what you have is, number one, a natural river is going to swerve and weave through the land. And what that does is it picks up sediment and it distributes it along the land. And so it actually helps to fertilize the soil as the water progresses through the land. The second thing it does is that swerving and weaving slows the water down. Um, the biggest thing that causes erosion for water is speed. So most of your erosion control devices are not meant to filter water. They're meant to slow the water down. And so in the last decade or so, North Carolina has made a very distinct effort to go through and fix all of these canals, all of these tunnels, all these culverts that were put in place that changed the way that the water systems worked, the natural water systems work in North Carolina. And they're sometimes taking photos that were done back in the, the early 1900s to find out what the original condition of the land was and actually restore that particular plot of land or that particular stream or creek or river back to what it was originally supposed to be. And they're doing that as a as a, a an informed effort to not have the, the 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 local wildlife and the local environment destroyed. So this is a very good thing. This is things that we ought to do. These are things that we ought to think about. Um, you know, state of Mississippi, I'm currently in, they have a wetlands program that does much the same thing. And they're trying to, uh, uh, basically reverse engineer how, uh, some of these areas have been messed up by terrible engineering that happened in the early 1900s and put it back to what it was supposed to be. Yeah. The Terra Preta, that's exactly what it is. Yes. Yeah. As soon as you said that, I was like, oh, crap, I know exactly what it was, and I just could not remember the name, but yeah. Uh, anyways, that, that was my point. Like, I wanted to bring that in. Um, uh, I, I know for, for, for people who like to read 
uh, Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell talks about some of the engineering, um, uh, engineering designs that the Southerns had uh, in the in during the Civil War, and one of the things that changed was this German engineering was brought in from the north, where we're going to force the land to do a particular thing. We're going to make the land do what we want it to do, and the Southerns didn't think about the land that way. You would have a family that sat on a land of probably a thousand acres, and he had no issue just living on maybe one or two acres because the rest of that that land could basically do what it was supposed to do. Uh, and he operated essentially as, um, you know, what what a modern, uh, you know, federal forest reserve officer would do. Uh, but he did that on his own land of his own volition. Because he just wanted his land to to be productive, he wanted his land to 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 do what it was already supposed to do and already trying to do. He wasn't trying to work against it; he was trying to work with it. So, the kind of it's kind of like the the whole you know we're not going to build a bridge; we're just going to keep fording the river. You know, there's a little there, there's a little creek. You know, the the Scots and the Anglo's were just like oh, I'm just going to drive my wagon across this river. And then the Germans like, I want to build a freaking bridge, or um, or the Scots would they would cut down a tree and just leave the stump, right? Versus the Germans, they would spend two days trying to get the stump out of the ground. Mm-hmm. That that's kind of the same thing, right? Because in my mind, I'm like, why do I want to spend money to to dig the stump out, or not money, but why would I want to spend time to dig the stump out when I know it's going to sit there and rot? And that area of land is going to be, you know, if I take it out, I'm going to have a hole there. I'm going to have to find the dirt from somewhere to fill it in or I'm going to break an ankle. If I leave the stump down there, it's just going to rot and attract all kinds of good little wildlife or, you know, microorganisms mm-hmm. and stuff to break it down. And and it's just going to, you know, it's not hurting me. Yeah, it might be an eyesore, but it's not hurting me. Why do I care? Um well, but you know, when when they did that, they also weren't living on three quarters of an acre, so that right. the eyesore was probably way back in the woods where you're not seeing it, anyways. Um, yeah, that's and, true. And you know, just just to kind of close the loop on the whole, you know, m- you know, masculine feminine marriage analogy that I'm making. You know, one of the one of the things that God tells a husband is to live with his wife according to knowledge. And, you know, this principle, if you abstract it a bit, can apply to this other situation here where mankind as a as a race have to live with the land according to knowledge. They have to know what the land is trying to do, and they have to know the best way to bring out the full potential of the land. To let the land do what it's already trying to do, but do it in a better way. So like what you're saying, you know, you've got those blackberry bushes you know across the tree line we'll make some hedgerows let that let that cultivate that spend time to dig into that and find out what's the best way to approach uh cultivating this this row of 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 blackberries and without disturbing the land without destroying the land and without being rapacious Uh, i think we talked about in another podcast the difference and distinction between dominion and being domineering right it's the difference between understanding what you're dealing with and cultivating what's already there within the ontology of the thing itself versus just trying to force the thing to do with what you want it to do regardless of what it is. Yeah, um, 
so so a lot of that creating hedgerows and and all this this um there's a deeper science behind all this it's called permaculture uh, i'm i'm a novice in permaculture uh there's people out there that's way smarter than i am that that have been doing this for a lot longer than i have uh, so some great was bill mollison unfortunately he's passed on um jeff lawton he's done an uh he's an aussie um jack spirico i listen to his podcast nearly daily uh, joel salatin justin rhodes the, these people all want to incorporate what nature's already trying to do into what they're wanting it to do so i might not like okay so so just take for instance um i fenced off another area of my property and uh for to put my goats on and there was this edge road that i just i i couldn't mow it because there was some stumps there and some stuff like that and i didn't have a bush hog so what did i do i just let it grow last year i got you know probably a couple buckets worth of blackberries from it and uh, once I finally did get it fenced off, it took about two days, and the goats flipping cleaned it out. I'm like, oh, I was hoping that hoping that greenery would last a little bit longer, but whatever. And, and now that they've cleared that out, because that's what goats do is they clear land. I can go through there, and everything that doesn't grow greenery this spring, I'm just going to go and cut it off. Another another thing that you could do is um. So, so I've got some uh, certain types of trees that uh, if you cut them off, they'll just shoot out these little like fingerlings, I call them, which are basically just a branch with a lot of greenery. And I come by, they're, they're actually an invasive species. Uh, I think they're from Asia. Mm. It's not kudzu. I, will, I, am, I am getting some kudzu on the property. Freaking Asians? Specif- <laughs> specifically for goats, okay? Kudzu makes a great fodder. I don't care what anybody says. I don't know if I want to leave that in there or not. <laughs> Freaking Asians. But um, but but the specific tree is called a, uh, I think it's called a camphor tree. Mm-hmm. It's got a really distinct smell, and basically, like I, I I cut it and it's it's called coppicing or pollarding, depending on how you do it. But I coppiced one, basically I left it about six to eight inches, you know, that six to eight inch stump. And now it's just got a bunch of flipping uh, branches growing off of it. So I'll just go by, I'll rip them off, and I'll throw them to the goats. Mm. Boom, free fodder. And guess what? That's actually building my soil because, one, it's it's a track. Okay, so an- another little Spurg moment here. Trees are good for your property. Trees build soil. Trees are basically God's solar panels. Because what it's doing is it's taking all this light and through photosynthesis, creating all these sugars that go into the ground. And, and then that boom, that increases more um, uh, my, microscopic life, right? So you're sitting there building your soil and you're not doing anything. I'm building my soil. And I'm also feeding my animals. Okay. I'm doing that with more than just one or two different trees. But so, so any, any, you know, Perennial systems are, are the number one way to go, in my opinion, for actually, you know, adding more value to your property. But um, no, that's neither here. Well, anyway, no, that it that, that's exactly no, that's, the same point. That's that's you know, it's these the are just point. these are minor wisdoms that point to the, the the higher wisdom. The higher wisdom being that we're supposed to dwell with nature according to knowledge, understand, and try to cultivate nature instead of forcing it to do what we want to do. And what you're talking about is a is a is a lesser wisdom in the sense that it's a very down to earth and practical way 
of dealing with and exercising this larger principle that 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 we get from God. So so pollarding was actually a um um that helpful a heavy practice in European uh European farm life, right? I'm I'm, I'm about to send you some pictures. Okay. That's what I said helpful. I was trying to add to what you were saying. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, so Europeans, they, they would have, uh, they would power these old trees and, and that's what they would create their animal fodder with. Right. Because hay is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, hold on. I'm just going to send you the link to all of them because I just think this is really cool. Here, see if that brings up the, uh, the search results that I had. Basically, the the Europeans would they would take these massive trees, and they would just sit there and that they, they would they would manage the limbs in such a way that it would create uh create basically just straight offshoots. All right, we see this a lot with uh, crepe myrtles right now, but they did it with like old oaks and stuff like that, mm. and they would just take and rip it off, and then they would dry and, and make tree hay. Okay, so that's one way that you can get actually more use out of a tree. But I, I think it's absolutely cool to look at like these forests, and you see how they're well. They're, uh, trying to look, trying to find the, about the third picture actually shows what I want. It creates like these nodules, mm-hmm. right? And you just see like small little sprigs coming off of it, and um, it, it's better for the tree. The tree won't get as big, but it it'll stay young longer. So instead of you having a five hundred year old oak tree out in front of your house that's going to die pretty soon because trees actually do have lifespans. You're basically taking a tree and keeping it 20 for the rest of its life, even though the base of it's growing bigger, huh. it's still a young tree. That's interesting. So, you I mean, you could expand the lifespan of a tree. And I think, uh, I think, uh, was it China or Japan? They did, they did the same thing because in the King's forest or the emperor's forest, you couldn't cut down a tree to use the, uh, the lumber for um for building so what they would do is they would coppice and pollard and then take the sticks off of that and build whatever they want because within like two years if you if you manage it right you can get a you know a pretty hefty sized beam off of it and the tree is still intact you're not cutting down an entire tree to uh to build a house and i know it takes more than one tree to build a house but you get what i'm saying so this this is something um i i dug into a little bit because uh you know I actually have a lot of respect for uh, Japanese uh, culture. And one of the things that they would do was uh, they would grow trees specifically for, um, you know, specifically to build a house. And, you know, you might say, oh, oh, it's just a lumber. Well, no, 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 it's not. So what they would do is they would take this one tree and cultivate it. And then it was when it was fully grown and exactly how they wanted it, they would they would cut the whole tree down and use every bit of material from that tree to build one house. So the one house was built from that one tree, and all of the parts, all of their complex um, uh, cuts and 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 corners and uh, uh, wedges that they would use to to meld this tree together. Use hardly any kind of hardware, like uh, you know the 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 most complicated that they would get as far as using separate materials would 
would be they would have these wooden posts, these wooden pegs that they would put in there to hold two opposing pieces together. Um, but it was all built from one tree. And you're talking about the floor mats to the the doors to the paper that they would use in the doors. It was all sourced from that one tree. And, and they used that uh, architectural design to um, uh, build their modern-day sk- skyscrapers. And I think uh, I think they're called pan, uh, pan, pagodas. I think they're called pagodas. Yeah. Oh, so like the gazebo things. So the pagodas. Um, well, they're they're towers essentially. And modern construction techniques had had to change because when you get a when you get a building so high, um, you know it's just it'll fall over because of the wind. And so the pagodas were the ones that originally used this technique where they would have a center post of a tree going through the entire length of the tower. And each floor of the of the the tower could shift independently of the rest of them. And so what happens is as these in, as each floor shifts, they bounce up against that center that center tree or center post and it creates a counterbalance where it's a much more stable structure just by allowing them to shift and bounce off that center post. Yeah, and kind of the skyscrapers are basically like waving the entire time that they're standing up there. Uh, well, that, that, that structural, all... that structural design is, is how we were able to build skyscrapers as tall as we, we, we are right now. Otherwise they would fall over. Uh, but, but those, those kinds of designs, the whole point of me bringing that up those kinds of designs were were specifically brought from nature, and they're using designs in nature to try to work with nature, as opposed to trying to fight against it. I'm not exactly a fan of skyscrapers, so you're not going to hear me defend that. But um, I'm talking more specifically about using trees, like pollarding the trees, trying to use the lumber from the tree to to build one house, to try to be conservative with how you're impacting the environment around you. Um, all of these things are just—it's a different cultural expression of the same principle. Yeah, these uh, these Japanese pollard trees—it literally looks like a grove of pine trees growing straight out of like a bonsai-looking tree. Mm-hmm. It, it looks wild. But um, but but yeah, I mean, th- th- this is just examples of actually taking dominion and not forcing something. So right now we're forcing something harvesting all those all these pine trees right there's there's groves and groves of pine trees i guess i guess that's the right word for stands of pine trees i don't really know um that that people are growing and they they'll harvest in 20 something years 30 something years and then you've got to wait another 30 something years versus something like this it could take you know 10 years and you have enough lumber for what you need um and you're not having to start from scratch like that like that's one like yes i i think we should cut down trees i think we should definitely ethically harvest trees um that's one of the big reasons why the um i think i mentioned this earlier how um the all the wildfires out in california oregon and stuff like that that happens at national forest basically it's because no one is out there um you know doing control burns, harvesting trees. So there's just rotting trees everywhere. 
and you know one lightning strike and everything can get set off uh but versus if humans are involved we could set up certain systems to actually prevent that we could thin trees out we could uh we could run a herd of goats through there like joel southen does with his with his um with his um his cows you know we can control the movement on these on these uh grazing browsing animals to actually thin all this underbrush out um a lot like and i think a lot of uh cities have started started to do this also in the south with um taking goats and uh and eating all the kudzu right uh some places are still using poison on them which is dumb because that just goes into the water table and poisons everyone else yep but some places are starting to uh to subcontract out to goat farmers to actually clear all this kudzu out and goats will tear up some flipping kudzu right they will absolutely destroy it i mean i think uh i think a herd of 12 can clear out an acre in like two days you know that, that's a lot of kudzu that's a crap ton of kudzu but um but i mean it's just an example of how if we actually manage these systems another one would be how to retain water on your land a lot of places they only get you know a couple inches of rain a year we're you know we're east of the mississippi so we have this wonderful stuff that called rain that comes out of the sky almost weekly literally and i love it because i don't have to worry about watering my plants you know, I, I, I make the joke I'm a swamp rat, man, but seriously, about most of everything down here is swamp. And that's not bad. That's actually good. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I was looking at moving out west, right? I was like, oh, you know, it's getting too crowded where I'm at. I need to go out to, like, Wyoming, the wide open spaces. Then I started doing some research, and I and me just inadvertently thinking, well, I'll just dig a well. <laughs> you can dig, like, 2500 feet might hit water might maybe here here i can go dig i can go dig a hole for a fence post and i'll hit water yeah yeah right? exactly just start shooting up <laughs> yeah uh, uh guys i don't i don't know uh i don't know how you get how close you guys are to the gulf coast but uh there are water systems in the city of biloxi that are five to six feet below the outfall is five or six feet below water table just, just think about that for a minute. Just think about the implications of that for a minute. That means that, you know, at least the first 10 or 12 structures on that system are full of water at all times. Uh, you, you you get, you know, the, the, well, the great thing about Mississippi, actually, is uh, Mississippi has two planting seasons. Um, we, 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 we basically don't have winter. We have, like, three days of cold weather, and then it's over with. <laughs> Uh, other hey, yeah uh, other than that it's uh 100% humidity and probably you know it gets upward to like 90 or you know 90 95 degrees I I wouldn't change it for the world though love it love it um but uh yeah today was actually a really nice spring day outside but uh but anyways get getting back to the topic at hand um Sorry. we we can have we no no no, no it's, fine uh we can have ways to actually capture capture water and keep water on our land um via swales or or digging trenches and making aquifers and and those people that live out in the desert uh so um 
there's there's an excellent video to 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 drive my point home. Uh, back back during the Great Depression, um, it, it wasn't the TVA. It was it was another project. It was out in Arizona. Basically, they took this area of desert, and and they basically turned it into like a meadow. Mm. All right. Uh, I can't remember exactly everything they did, but they did they dug swales and uh, they they had like a lot of rain catchment systems, like natural rain catchment systems, right. like plastic barrels out there. And um, so you're walking through like this dry desert. You go through some trees, and boom, grass everywhere. Um, I'm 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 honestly convinced that most of Arizona's desert is artificially made. Not saying that it's not a desert. I just think it's 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 the wrong kind of desert. It's a barren desert versus a fruitful desert. Like there there are literally still canals that used to be rivers running through Arizona until they dammed the water up somewhere up north. Yeah. Right. And I think that totally put a damper on Arizona. Um because how would people live there, you know, a hundred years ago if there was no water? Phoenix would be uninhabitable. Well, I mean, I'm, con- I'm convinced if if you go back and you look at, you know, I'm I'm going to get a little bit because this is this is one of my pet subjects. Go look at the water piping systems in Petra. I don't know if anybody's ever thought about this before. So Petra was built thousands of years ago. The water piping systems in Petra are clay pipes and they account for turbidity in the water. For pumping the water. And they pumped the water from another mountain. Uh like it, the the I'm 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 adding to what you're saying here in that there were all kinds of cistern and um uh water systems that were constructed made out of natural materials that ha- that are literally ancient uh that can be utilized to bring water in from a barren, uh, it bring water into a barren area. Uh, what we've typically done in the West is we typically dam up, and we dam up water because we're trying to get hydroelectric power, because we care more about electricity than we do about land preservation. Um, but you'll also see this kind of problem, our interference into the into the the Middle East. For instance, I think it's the area uh, north of the Black Sea. It's either it's either the Black Sea or the uh, I think it is the Black Sea. Um, they've they've created an entire barren area in the Black Sea um, because they're using irrigation systems from like the early 1900s, which you know there goes the Y word again. But uh, they're using irrigation systems from the early 1900s to to try to grow farms, which is a it's something that it is a laudable intent in this puerile sense, but the methods that they're trying to do it are so destructive to their local environment. They're trying to use irrigation systems from the deep south and trying to put them in the middle of the desert. That's not how it works. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. This is one of the few things that I'm... This, this is one of the things, actually, that uh, I think Israel does right. Uh, that they're... That, the way that they do their um, uh, their crops, I mean, they've created a a meadow in the middle of the desert where they live, um, and I think they've done it right. Uh, 
because they're they're trying to use natural methods to 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 build according to what the, the the land that they have. Uh there was another video that I watched um that I think the guy was in downtown Phoenix. He lived in a neighborhood and on Sunday, he had to do it on Sunday because none of the uh utility workers worked that day. He he just took a small like concrete handsaw and he just cut a little channel in 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 each of the um um the curbs and basically it flowed water into these areas and he planted those trees planted Mm. and basically like the entire area just started to become green yep um eventually they had to put a stop to that like to all the surrounding areas because the realtors got mad because nobody wanted to move out of that area right well i mean it's well and and this actually gets into you know the one of the reasons why this is so important is because most of our um most of the way that the land is treated is run by people who just want to make the most amount of profit off the land and they don't care how they make the profit right they all they care about is making the profit and so they'll destroy the local land to make that profit and then they'll walk away and they're perfectly fine with whatever happens there um so you know we essentially this is one of the things we have to take back from these artificial systems that have been put in place because these you know they're 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 trying to make money which that they're in business just to make money uh but they're not being held responsible for the damage they're doing to the land and this is part of the the conservation element of what we're talking about is that needs to be addressed that needs to be dealt with and people ought to be held responsible for the impact that they have on their local environment. Well, and a lot of times it's not even that they want to make money. It's they just want free money. So a lot take all these soy farmers, right? That they're not turning a profit on soy. I mean, yeah, they're getting a little bit of a profit, but a lot of that comes from government subsidies. They're getting a check written to them. But okay, so I can hear the complaints coming. Oh, if we don't, if we don't have all these monocropping, you know, apparatuses throughout the country, then how would people eat? Let me just tell you something. If we took cows and put them on the exact same land that were growing all these soybeans, corn, and stuff like that, we could stop feeding the soy and the corn to the cows and have them eat grass. And a grass-fed cow should be cheaper than a CAFO cow. Why? Why is a grass-fed cow so flipping expensive? They're not eating anything extra. They're not. They're eating grass. Grass grows like free. So, so, so why? Why is it cheaper when we have all these extra additives of corn, soy, candy bars, etc.? You think I'm lying about candy bars? They literally feed candy bars to flipping cows. Okay. Because, yep. oh, they, they love it just fine. Well, I guess flipping so. You know, would they not like a nice sugary treat? But anyways. <laughs> but, well, I mean, well, it's, it, it, you know, you, you say that, but it's like, you know, I'm not, it, it isn't the same thing. It's actually worse. But, you know, would, would you feed your kid trash? You want your kid eating trash food? Uh, but, you know, you're responsible for their health. So you're responsible for your animal's health as well. 
there, there was something that came out uh, a little while ago. How um, I, I can't remember what big company it was. It might have been Smithfield, but I don't I don't want to say that it was to and you know be held for slander. Um, but it was one of these big big companies that took uh you know basically old food and garbage, uh still edible and gave it to to hogs. That that would be fine. I mean, I'm all for you know re you know recycling you know bad food waste like rotten tomatoes, bread, etc., whatever. Just you know, give it all to the hogs. But they weren't even taking it out of the packaging. So these hogs were literally eating plastic. Yep. And I'm just like, oof, oof. That's that's not good, man. Like, that's not good at all. I'm going to interject this real quick because I think this is hysterical. So this is today. Torba on his Telegram channel is absolutely dragging Trump through the dirt right now. So he's he's posting screen caps from this article. It says in recent weeks, sources have heard former president on the phone swearing gratuit- gratuitously and asking things like, "What the f is going on with True Social?" He repeatedly groused about the negative press and the less than stellar optics of the rollout. These sources said. And he demanded to know why more people aren't using it, why the app isn't swiftly dominating the competition. Extreme right gab, however, has managed to rack up twice the web traffic as Truth Social, despite its mobile apps being banned from both Apple and Google's uh, app stores. Similar web's estimates show a sharp spike in around 2 million daily visits to the site when it first debuted. Before traffic dipped to an average approximately 300,000 visits each day, putting the, the, the site on par with Getter. Meanwhile, the far-right gab has averaged around 650,000 daily average visits in that same period of time. So, he <laughs> he's demanding to know why people aren't using it, why the app isn't swiftly dominating it. And then it says, still, it's... It's not. It's likely not helping the fortunes of the the forty fifth U.S. president's new company, given that he doesn't seem at all interested in using it right now. As Axios pointed out this week, Trump hasn't posted a single time since its launch, despite an, interna- an international crisis that has captivated the country. Instead, he's given his comments to radio and TV hosts. Like this is what I said. It's a grift. Like he doesn't even care about his own product. Yeah. Trump, Trump is such a boomer, though. He really is. Sorry, that's a detour from what we're talking about, but just... Anyways. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Um, and, uh, but yeah. I, I, some some closing thoughts for me is um, we can't save the world overnight, but we can start by, you know, composting your food waste. At the bare minimum, compost it. I would prefer everyone had chickens, because chickens are absolutely fun. As a side note, did you know that if one-third of every household in America had three chickens, we could not only end the the the, the rapacious acts that we're, we're having upon our, our, our egg-laying fellows, but we would have a surplus of eggs. And eggs are extremely healthy when you don't feed them freaking soy and lock them in cages and sear their beaks off. Anyways, <laughs> start, 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 a, start a compost bin. Guys, you know, guys, take, guys, take he's over here. He, he's over here and he's literally twitching. <laughs> <laughs> start, start a compost bin. Um, all that junk mail that you have, don't throw it away. 
um, shred it up and use it for your compost. Uh, don't throw all your food stuff away. Um, and then, then when, if you want to get really hardcore, get a composting toilet. There you go. I, I'm joking on that last one, but not really. <laughs> um, yeah, some closing thoughts for me. Um, this is kind of a wider discussion. It's applicable to a lot of different areas, but get your head out of the Marvel mindset. When I mean Marvel, I'm talking about the, the, the Marvel superheroes, right? Here's what I mean. Um, you know, you, you see all these people with fantastic abilities, right? You know, this guy can go around and, and, uh, he's got the strength of like 10 or 15 different people and he's jumping around, punching people in the face, right? Um, that's not what taking Dominion looks like. We're not going to go out, we're not going to go out and do something flashy and, you know, destroy the bad guy by beating him in the face with a baseball bat or a shield or any of that stuff. Um, you know, the, the, it's the boring things that we like to talk about. Um, because the boring things are what's actually going to get the work done. It's spending the time to do composting. It's spending the time to walk around your property on a regular basis and get to know what your property's trying to do and try to build it. If you ended up having these superhero strengths, would you be out there punching people or would you be at the house using those strengths to actually have a productive land, have productive uh, uh, farming techniques, have have a way of life that isn't destroying the entire environment around you because you just want that quick, that quick benefit. Right. Um, you know, that, that gets kind of nerdy about it, but I think my point's made in this, you know, d don't, don't think that you're going to go out there with your, with your social media activism and change the world. That's not how you win. And that's not how we're going to win. Uh, we, our positive eschatology started off with Malachi talking about, um, you know, don't go out and criticize your politicians because that's not where you're going to win this war. You need to learn how to love your wife. You need to learn how to raise your kids properly. You need to learn how to interact with your church and build a community. You need to learn, in this case, in this podcast, what we're talking about, you need to learn what the land is. You need to learn how to deal with the land, how to make, how to cultivate the land have it do what it's supposed to be doing anyways uh, your job is to be a steward over the land and god gave you that responsibility so use it don't just force the land to do what you want it to do because it's easier for you to go buy some fertilizer um take the time do this do the little things that's the important that's where that's where the real uh where the real work is it's where the real victory is is in those small things and god will bless you in the big things hey y'all thanks for listening in on our podcast if you like what you hear please share and comment wherever you're listening to it and check out our gab page at dixie polis podcast if you want to contact us please send an email to dixiepolis at protonmail.com or send us a message on gab if you like the music we're playing hang out a little while and let the song finish it's wayfaring stranger by southern raised and you can listen to them on YouTube or go to their website at southernraisedbluegrass.com. God bless y'all.
Oh, oh.